real quick on those announcements, the Discover Houston class that we scheduled to start next week, we're going to push that, push that back one week. We've heard from a few of you who want to be able to come, but the first week's not available, so we're going to start that on the 28th instead of the 21st. That was the decision just made this morning, so that's why the announcements reflected differently. So we're not starting that next week. We're going to start Discover Houston on the 28th and then do it the following week, the first week of February as well. Um, all right, go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, open up to Matthew chapter 4. As you're doing that, a few things. One, uh, you saw that the uh, Night of Biblical Conversations on the 28th coming up, um, those are designed for as we're studying Matthew. If you have questions in Matthew, as you're studying, as you're sitting through sermons and you're hearing things, those are, those are an opportunity there for you to bring some of those questions and we'll discuss those. We'll dig deeper into stuff or maybe there's something else that came up that you're studying in Matthew I really want to keep it focused on Matthew, but I understand that that does leave it broad uh, depending on what we cover, but that's coming up. If you have those questions now, you can start sending those in. We're about two weeks or so out of, from that, so I'm telling you now, if you send those in now, those are the things we start with. How long that takes us, I don't know, so if you wait and you want to ask while we're there, you may or may not, we may or may not get to it, so that's coming up. Lastly, while you're turning to Matthew chapter 4, I sent this out last night. I realized that the, the verses that I had on for this morning were wrong. I'm sorry, I know that mess, there's a sermon-based class that probably messed that up for you guys. I'm sorry about that. Um, the, uh, the new one is printed out there. There's also an electronic copy, so I know there's a lot of people out today, so if you're watching this, uh, we put that out on Facebook as well, so that's, that's updated. All right, Matthew chapter 4, uh, Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at the last two verses, or three verses, 23, 24, and 25 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, um, I, I, did, I did the breakout of the, this intentionally, just kind of looking at scheduling and kind of what's covered. But also, I want you to, next week, we kick off a section of Matthew that is one of the most popular sections of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. We start that next week. We are intentionally going to slow down during that. So you're going you're gonna to notice smaller chunks. Um, I know the last few weeks we had smaller chunks, but as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, it's going to be smaller because a lot of this one is going to be familiar to you. And we want to make sure we're going through it and, and we're understanding it and we're seeing it. But two, it's foundational. And it's one of the things, there's two sermons in Matthew that, that Jesus gives. There's two sermons that Matthew gives a great amount of attention to. The first one is here in Matthew 5 through 7. The second one is what we often call the Olivet Discourse, which comes at the end in Matthew 23, 24, that, that area. So that kicks off next week. So that, that is, uh, that's coming. Hope you're looking forward to that. I am. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to finish up this morning. If you're using a Bible on the chairs there around you, there are some around you. Page 633. Or if the Bible that you're using has a flame on the front of it, page 809, 809, 633 or page 809. Here's where we're going this morning. I know it's just a few verses uh, this morning, but I figure I got to preach long enough to get the snow passed. So I don't know. I got, the, I got my phone up here so I can check the radar. So if, the, if it slows down, maybe we stay put. Here's where we're going this morning. The gospel of the kingdom of God is accompanied by the power of God. Pretty straightforward. The gospel of the kingdom of God is accompanied by the power of God. So before we, we read these verses, let's just do a quick run-up to what we're seeing here as he wraps up uh, chapter 4. We have seen Matthew presenting Jesus as the Messiah. 
as the anointed king, the one who has been promised. We saw in his chapter one how he showed his lineage, his genealogy, links him back to people like Moses, links him back to people like Abraham, links him back to people like King David. He highlighted in there Abraham and David. But one of the things that we see Matthew doing is also showing his readers, this is the one that Moses pointed to in Deuteronomy 18 when he said, there will be another prophet who arises and you should listen to the words that come out of my mouth, out of his mouth. We've then seen the birth narrative of Jesus and how he had to flee to Egypt and how God was protecting and guiding him. And we've pointed out how each of those things not only paralleled some of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but also paralleled Moses. In fact, if you're doing the reading plan, you're in Exodus this week and you should be seeing some of these parallels. You should be seeing how there's similarities between the life of Moses and the life of Jesus. That is intentional on God's part. It is intentional. And then we we saw that Jesus comes and he's immersed by John the Baptist and then he's immediately then driven into the wilderness where he resists the, the devil as he's being tempted. And then he begins his public ministry of proclaiming the very same message that we're gonna look at this morning. We've seen him call, as of last week, we saw him call some of his first followers, his first disciples, Simon and Andrew, James and John. And so Matthew picks it up here and look with me, I'm able to put it all on one, on one slide this morning, but we're going to read through all the verses and then we'll go back and work through some of them. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 is where we're at. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great uh, crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So he went through all of Galilee. Now, I didn't put the the map back up here, um, but I've shown you a map a few times. Galilee would be northern Israel. He's he's now up in that region at this point. And Matthew tells us he's going all throughout. There's cities up there. He's going all throughout there, and he has a pattern. Jesus has a pattern. As he's going through these, these places, he's going to the synagogues, and there he's teaching them and proclaiming, and we'll get into what he's proclaiming in a minute. But let's talk about synagogues for a moment. Synagogues are not the temple. Okay, that's the first thing I want to I put with you. There's a distinction between what is known as the temple and what would have been up in Jesus' day with a second temple. Uh, that one is still standing in Jesus' day. Synagogues are different. See, when the, when, the, when the first temple was destroyed, we go back to our Old Testament time, there was a period where the people of God were disobeying God, and he kept telling them through his prophets, if you continue down this path, I'm going to raise up other nations that are going to come and they're going to, they're going to lead you out of your land. They're going to, they're going to rule over you. That was part of their, the, the consequences of them breaking the covenant. And so when the southern kingdom, because the, the Israel had split into, they had a civil a break, and so you had northern ten tribes, and then you had two tribes in the south. The ten tribes in the north, they were led away in 722 BC, somewhere around there, by Assyria. Assyria was the reigning empire at the time. But then the two southern kingdoms, which would be Judah and Benjamin, but it's usually just called Judah, they were led astray in around 586 BC by Babylon. Babylon was the reigning empire at that time. They both come from the same region, from that region of Mesopotamia, but they are different empires, different peoples. 
And so when Babylon came and, and, and overcame Judah, the temple was destroyed and all the things that were in the temple were taken away. So then the people of God that were in, in Judah were then led into captivity in Babylon. This is when prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah are writing. This is when Daniel comes and he's writing uh, while they're in Babylon and they're away from the land, away from the temple. But if you're going to maintain your faith and you're going to, to continue to try to live in obedience to God, even though the reason you are where you are, that they were in Babylon at that point, the reason you're there is because you disobeyed the covenant. They had been told continuously that when you find yourself under the rule of other people and you, and you remember my instructions and you turn back, I will restore you. And so if the people of God who were in captivity wanted to live in faithful obedience to their God, they were going to try to continue to live out this instruction. But some of the things required that they would travel to the place where God had designated. At that time, that would have been the temple in Jerusalem. But they can't do that. They, they, they can't offer their sacrifices at the temple that they're supposed to offer. There's, there's a limiting factor there. But what they still want to do is they still want to gather together. They still want to have, hear the Torah read, the, the, what we would call the first five books of our Bible. You either call it the Torah or the, uh, the Greek name for that is Pentateuch. Right? It's the first five books. That was their scripture along them with the, the prophets. And so they want to hear that read because they don't have personal copies. And so they would hear that read and they would be instructed in that. The place they started to do that was they formed synagogues. Synagogues were local meeting places formed so that the, the Hebrew people could meet, they could hear the scriptures read, and they could continue to learn, and they can continue to pray together. It then rose to prominence, synagogues then rose to prominence, fast forward to the year 70 AD when the, when the second temple is destroyed, then synagogues became really prominent. But in Jesus' day, you had synagogues spread throughout. It said that a synagogue could be um, put in a town if there was at least 10 men. So that means most towns would have had a synagogue. Now, they would have looked different depending on the number of people, the amount of resources, things like that. But a synagogue was, was first and foremost a place that the Jewish people would gather together where they would hear the, the scriptures read and they would be instructed in that. They would pray together. Um, and, and, then, and then the other thing about the synagogue was it also became a um, place for civic things. So it was not just a place where you came and you learned and read the scriptures and prayed. You had services. You did have those things. But then this facility also became useful for civic matters. That's where you would go if you were having a case heard or um, you needed to have something settled. And so you might go to there. And that way, it's really, it's really very similar to the way we use church facilities today. Right? So we, the primary reason we have a church facility is so we have a place to gather where we can hear the scriptures read, we can be instructed in it, we can pray together, we can encourage one another in the Lord, and that's the primary thing. But then we, we have the Easton Rural Water Board meets here. That's a civic thing, right? We, we've had other groups that use our facilities and meet here. We have sports teams that will sometimes use our, our gym for practice. And so I'm um, just trying to bring this down to home in a way that you can understand a synagogue. It was really just like a facility, like what we have, and how it gets used for multi-purpose things, even though it had a primary purpose. That's, that's what a synagogue was. A synagogue would have been ruled over or um, overseen by a group of local elders, and then the local elders would have designated a synagogue ruler. That's a phrase you're going to hear come up later on as Jesus interacts with a ruler of the synagogue. 
The ruler of the synagogue basically was the guy who was going to uh, plan the services. He might be the one who's scheduling people to be involved in certain uh, um, uh, parts of the service. Who's going to read the Parsha reading for this week, the, the, the certain section of the Torah that needs to be read? Who's going to read that? Who's going to read the Haftarah reading, the, the certain section of the, the prophets that need to be read? And so you see, and you, you start to fast forward and think about things that we're going to see with Jesus, how he gets up and he reads. He's reading what was already designated. He's reading what was already designated. This is what they would have been reading, the section they would, have been, they would have been reading. And so they would schedule things like that. But then the ruler of the synagogue would also be like a facilities manager. Right? He's, he's providing care for the facilities, upkeep and things like that. So, so when Jesus is going around to a synagogue, he's using something that, now let's be clear, a synagogue was not biblically mandated. Okay, it, it didn't, the synagogues don't have the Ark of the Covenant. There, there's nothing special about the synagogue in the sense that like where, where God was with uh, his people in the, in the tabernacle and even in the temple when the Ark of the Covenant was there, this is not the synagogue. That's why I start out by saying temple and synagogue are different. This is not a biblically mandated thing. This is something that popped up out of necessity, out of cultural situations so that the people of God, the Hebrew people could continue to, to gather together. Now, Jesus is going to use that which has popped up. He's going to use these places because this is where you would gather. This is where if you wanted to hear the scriptures read, if you wanted to be instructed, this is where you would go. So if he's now going around and he wants to teach people, he's going to go to the place where people are gathering to learn. Later on in Matthew, we're going to see that Jesus, Matthew 10, Matthew 24, he's going to issue warnings. So I want you to, to, to kind of store this away about synagogues. Here, Jesus is using it for good, but he's going to warn his followers. Later on, he's going to tell his followers, you're going to be taken into the synagogues and you're going to be flogged in those very places where people gather to learn the scriptures. You're, you're going to be given, putting on, put on trial before the people in those very places. He's going to issue warnings like that. So, so I want you, to, I want you to, to kind of just put yourself in Jesus's shoes. He, he knows these kinds of things are coming, but he's going to use the, 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 the synagogue for the purposes of God. Does that make sense? All right, so he's traveling around, and where there's a synagogue, he's going in. He's teaching in their synagogues. What is he teaching? He's both teaching and he's proclaiming. There's a distinction there. Teaching versus proclaiming. Teaching is, I'm teaching you so that you understand. I'm, I'm helping you to see where this is in the scriptures. I'm helping you to see how this is fulfilled or what this is pointing to. I'm, I'm helping you to understand what it looks like to then live this out in your life. Proclaiming is, hear this. This is from the Lord. Hear this and respond appropriately. So the way we would make a distinction today, we might say there's a difference between teaching and preaching. Like we're teaching as I'm teaching you to understand. I'm teaching you where you can find this in the scriptures. I'm teaching you how this thing gets played out in your life, what it might look like. Whereas preaching is I'm proclaiming something and, and you are supposed to respond appropriately. Right? And I think you can probably start to think through different, different preachers, pastors that maybe you've, you've heard preach or on TV, and you can distinguish the difference between teaching and preaching. And by the way, one's not bad and the other's good. They both serve their purposes. Jesus was doing both. He was both teaching and he was proclaiming. But what was he proclaiming? He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Hey, the, the word gospel, we understand the word gospel. It's, it's common to us. We, we understand gospel is good news. What we don't oftentimes do because we've gotten away from it is, is we don't connect that the gospel, the good news, includes the kingdom. 
right? We'll talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a biblical way to refer to it. We'll talk about the gospel of grace. That's the biblical, a biblical way to refer to it. Sometimes we'll just let it stand on its own and we'll say the gospel and that's fine too. But in doing that and, and in immersing ourselves in a culture, instead of being able to see what's here, what, oftentimes we forget that the gospel of the kingdom is what John the Baptist, the immerser, was proclaiming. And then what Jesus followed up and he was continuing to proclaim. And then it's what he's teaching and proclaiming in the synagogues is the gospel of the kingdom. I'm going to unpack that here in just a moment. But it's also the message that then the followers of Jesus, after he had ascended in heaven, that they continued to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. I've got one example for you here. This is found in Acts chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. This is Philip. Philip is among a group of people known as the Samaritans. He's in an area called Samaria, and he's, he's teaching and he's proclaiming the gospel. But look what it says here. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, even Simon himself. Simon was a magician, a sorcerer. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. I'm coming back to that in a moment. Um, so we've got Philip now, after Jesus has raised him, that he's continuing to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. You want to do a good, uh, fun study. The kingdom's a large topic, but do a search on the word kingdom. You, if you do it in the Old Testament, you're going to have to weed through some of the things that talk about the, the kingdom of Israel and, and kingdom of other nations, right? If you want to isolate the kingdom of God, you can put in kingdom of God, but that's a phrase that's going to be more unique to the New Testament. But just start with this. Go to your New Testament, pull out your concordance, look up the word kingdom, see all the places it comes up in the New Testament, type it into BibleGateway.com or BlueLetterBible.org, type in kingdom, and then, and then isolate it to New Testament. You're going to get a lot in the Gospels. If you want to isolate it further, just look at, look at uh, the book of Acts. Look at Paul's writings. Look at the other letters. And just see what's said about the kingdom. If you want to understand something in the Scriptures, you've got to, you've got to look at the places that it is used and then look at the context, what's being said about it. Okay? But here's P, uh, uh, Philip. Now, go back to the kingdom for a moment. Go back to the kingdom. Um, when we think about the kingdom, I'm going to, I'm going to walk us through just for a brief moment a little history of the idea of the kingdom of God. It starts in the garden. It starts in the garden. Because the, 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 the major premise of the kingdom of God is heaven and the conditions of heaven coming to earth. The, the conditions of heaven and earth uniting together, merging together which should be familiar to you if you've been around church for a while, if you, if you know what's coming in Matthew, or if you've ever grown up in a church where you recite the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, right? The idea of God's kingdom is the condition and the things of heaven where God is uniting with the way things are on earth. And that was the conditions uh, in Eden where there was no sin, there was, there was no... Um, things separating us from God, the conditions of Eden, this garden, which itself is pictured as a temple for God, the garden was meant to be spread across all of the earth, which is why God would tell Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, all right? So the conditions of Eden were supposed to spread over the earth. What were the conditions of Eden? The other command that God gave Adam and Eve was rule over the fish of the sea and the animals and the birds of the sky. That's dominion. That's, that is ruling. That is representing God's rule over creation. Those conditions were meant to spread over the earth. And as they did, that would be the kingdom of God spreading across all of his creation. 
sin, uh, there was some rebellions. Of course, there was a rebellion before that at some point with, uh, with the Satan, right, who, who appeared as a serpent. There were other rebellions along the way of God's created beings. There was a rebellion with Adam and Eve. And so, of course, all of this gets corrupted. And there's a promise that God makes in Genesis 3.15, that there's going to be a seed of the woman. He's going to preserve a line. He's going to protect this line. There's going to be a seed of the woman. It's not going to be corrupted. He's He's going to come and he's going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent, even though the seed of the woman's heel will be bruised. And so there's this promise that he's coming, and, it, and the, the idea is when this one comes, then the kingdom of God, the rule of God over all things will be established, then the things that are being corrupted by sin, those things will be undone and restored. And so you start to see that playing out. And so Noah, Noah, God starts over the earth with Noah. He wipes out uh, everyone except for Noah and his family, and Noah comes off the ark, and what does he tell Noah? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Again, you're supposed to go and populate the earth. And as people who bear the image of God, we represent him in the way we live our lives. And when you have been given God's image, you are God's rulers over his creation. And so Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And you see in Noah, Genesis 9, that that the animals are going to fear him. So you still see this, this idea of dominion. You fast forward and there's more rebellion, the Tower of Babel. And, and then out of that, from the scriptures, we see this guy named Abram being plucked out. And so what we, what we find from our scriptures is that God's now making promises, covenants with Abram. And through Abram, he says, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Okay? So now we start to see God narrowing down. He's, he's not isolating uh, or excluding who he's going to work with or through. He's, what he's saying is, for now, I'm going to bring it through them. He's not saying nobody, um, nobody except these people are welcome. What he's saying is, through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham gives birth to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. So we get this line, and Jacob's name is Israel. From Jacob comes the nation of Israel. God is working with a specific nation of people now, not because he's trying to exclude everyone else. We see all throughout the scripture, the Old Testament, that God was always welcoming in anyone who would convert and worship him, whether they were, were Jewish or not, whether they were Hebrew or not, they were always welcome. You see them always referenced as sojourners or foreigners or aliens, depending on your translation. But the idea was through these people, Israel, God was going to work with them. They were going to live in a relationship with him. And as they lived in faithful obedience to him, the other nations would see it as wisdom. The other nations would see the way that that the God of Israel was interacting with his people and they would understand it as wisdom and righteousness. And they would then be drawn into that God, the very God they were living in rebellion against. And through Abram, through Abram, and Israel was from the line of Abram, through Abram, all the families of the earth would be blessed because the nation of Israel was to be a light to the nations and a kingdom of priests, right? And so we see God doing that. Now we've seen that Adam fell, then we saw Noah fell, and, and, and we see that Israel fell because all of them lived in disobedience. And so when you fast forward and you, you get now Jesus coming on the scene, he is pictured as the one who is successful where Adam was uh, failed. He's the one who's successful where Israel failed. And so now he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. God's plans never stopped. His plan is still to, to, to let things on he- in heaven be, be here on earth. And so now Jesus is coming. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. And so this is a continuation of that which God has been doing from the beginning. When we think about the kingdom, When a person comes under the rule of God, when they acknowledge the rule of God, they come to faith in Jesus, they are now coming under the rule of God. 
they enter the kingdom of God. But that's not the fullness of the kingdom because we see that in scriptures there's, there's a fullness yet to come, but I experience the kingdom now. I enter in. Um, Paul would say it this way, you've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Right? So we enter into the kingdom now, which means I come under the reign and the rule of God. There is a progressive nature to the unfolding of the kingdom of God. As more people come under the rule of God, as more people come to faith in Christ, and they therefore come under the rule of God, the kingdom of God is going forth. It is spreading. As the people of God who are under the rule of God continue to live in faithful obedience to God among all the people that we live in and function around, we are putting the kingdom of God on display. And like his people Israel, as the other nations would look in, other people will see it as wisdom as we live in faithful obedience to our God. And they will then be drawn to our God because we too, Peter tells us, are a kingdom of priests, right? And, and so, so the kingdom of God is progressively unfolding and there is a fullness of it yet to come. Psalm 2, which is known as a messianic psalm, it's a psalm that was used to anoint kings of Israel, but it also pointed to the Messiah. In there it says, ask and I will give the nations to you. Speaking of the Son, the Messiah, ask and I will give the nations to you. There is a progressive unfolding at which point there will be the rule of God across all of the earth. So there's a now part, and already is a, is a way we'd refer to that, and then there's a not yet part. There's a fullness that's yet to come. So Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. All right, we keep going. Accompanying the gospel of the kingdom, he's healing every disease and every affliction. This is to say he's healing every type of disease and every type of affliction, right? In other words, there's no type of disease, there's no type of sickness or affliction that can stand before God. There's none that is more powerful than him. Every type of disease, every type of sickness or affliction, he is healing that. Now, these two words, um, if you wanted to dig into these two words, the way that you would do this, since the New Testament is, most of the copies that we have is written in Greek. We do have some Hebrew copies, but he, uh, most of our translation, our English translations come from Greek. So you would want to look at the Greek word behind healing, I'm sorry, disease, and the Greek word behind affliction. You may or may not know that what we call our Old Testament was also translated into Greek at some point. That's called the Septuagint. If you want to see, do these words, the Greek words behind disease and the Greek word behind affliction, ever show up in the, in the Old Testament, you would want to search it in the Septuagint, and you'll find them. You can do it the other way around also. You can look at a Hebrew copy of the Gospel of Matthew and see what is the Hebrew word that gets translated behind disease and affliction, and then you can then look for that in the Old Testament also. But, but here's what you'd find either way you go. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 through 15, in the context of God telling his people that if you're obedient, I will bless you. If you're not, then you experience curses. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock, and the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And here's the verse we're getting to. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness, which is translated afflictions in our, in our, our um, Matthew, all sicknesses 
and none of the evil diseases, that word is translated in Matthew as diseases as well, of Egypt, which you knew will he afflict on you, but he will lay them all on all who hate you. All right, so we see that Jesus is healing every disease and every affliction, and we go back to Deuteronomy, and we see these are the same kind of things that the people would have experienced while in Egypt. Sicknesses and diseases, some of that's tied to the plagues that they saw, right? We, we keep going. In your Old Testament, it also shows up in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, speaking of the Messiah who is to come from Isaiah's perspective, he says he, speaking of the Messiah, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Most of our translations will say grief, but you have a footnote. You have a footnote, and it tells you, or sicknesses, which means translators just chose a word that they think fits the context best, but it could go either way, okay? The, the word translated grief is the same word that in Matthew gets translated affliction or sicknesses. So he was a man acquainted with sicknesses and afflictions. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. Same word, sicknesses or afflictions. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. The same word again, translators make a, make a decision, but it could go either way. Diseases, it's the same word. It's the same word. So he has borne our sicknesses and he carried our diseases, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Now you fast forward to what Jesus is doing and he healed every sickness and every, every disease and every affliction. Isaiah told us when the Messiah comes, he's gonna be acquainted with sickness and he's gonna bear them for us. What is he doing as he is healing sicknesses and diseases, but he is fulfilling that which Isaiah said, he's bearing our sicknesses and our diseases. He is demonstrating the power of God over sicknesses and diseases. He is, he is bringing to the people the, the, the mercy of God and he is extending to them the power of God for healing of sicknesses and diseases, that which they would have experienced back in Egypt, that which they would have experienced, God said in Deuteronomy, if you disobey me. So what is he doing? He's, he's demonstrating to them in power the conditions of what it looks like to live in faithful obedience to God and to live in the presence and under the blessing of God. He heals every sickness and every disease. And so they brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases, pains, those oppressed by demons, those seizures, paralytics. He healed them. Okay, so now Matthew gives us some specifics. Sick, that's a general word. It means a physical illness, but it has no, uh, no context of how intense. It's just a general physical illness. Those afflicted with various diseases, that gets more intense. That is, there's physical sickness, there's physical diseases, and it's of a more intense nature. So he went from general to more specific, maybe just contextually application, we might say flu, lupus, something like that, or, 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 or flu and cancer or something like that. There's a difference in degree. Then he goes to pains. This is specifically physical pains in the body, and the word oftentimes gets used for the type of pain that comes as a result of torture. So we're talking about severe type of pains. We're talking about the, the type of pains that a person might experience that is constantly ailing them, aching and, and causing them pains. He's healing those kinds of things. Those who are oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. I think those speak for themselves, right? But he's healing all these kinds of things. And in doing that, he is demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God. 
See, because as he's proclaiming and teaching about the kingdom of God, he is then also healing the sick and those who are demonized, right? And so what's happening here is these kinds of things are accompanying him because they are, they are authenticating the message that he's proclaiming about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes with power. It's not just a message that get proclaimed. In fact, here's what the apostle Paul says about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When he went to the church in Corinth, a, a very uh, educated church, he said, and when I came to you, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I came to you, brothers, did not, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Paul's emphasizing that. He's saying, I didn't come to you to speak eloquently and to, to bedazzle you with my teachings. He knows they would have eaten that up. Corinth was well known for their education. He says, instead, I chose to be among you and know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. And instead, the demonstration of the power of God was done among you. That's then how they responded, right? And so same with Jesus as, as he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the demonstration of the power of God is being put on display. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 4, I'm gonna come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, there were false teachers among them, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power, right? And so we go back then, and Jesus is demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God is accompanied by the power of God. There's nothing that, that stands against him. There's nothing that, that, that is more powerful than God. And the kingdom of God, the conditions of heaven coming down to earth, includes the power of God over sickness, diseases, pains. Think for a moment where sickness, disease, and pains all come from. I mean, not medically speaking. Think about the root, spiritually speaking, of all sickness, disease, and pains. Where does it come from? Sin. Genesis chapter 3, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die, right? Physical death includes sickness, disease, things like that. When we're sick, that's our body breaking down. That's our body not being able to, um, uh, that's our body responding to something that's attacking it, right? Sickness, disease, pains, not there in the garden before sin. Not there. It, it came as a result of sin. So when the Messiah comes, the one who will rule and reign, when he comes and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, it is necessary then that the power of the kingdom of God be put on display. And this is why when Paul, when he would say, when I come to you, we're, we're going to see, we're going to judge these people, not by the things they're saying, but by the power of God, because the kingdom of God consists in power, not talk. We can proclaim the kingdom of God all day long, he says but it's the demonstration of the power of God. It's that fruit. That's, that's what, what demonstrates. And later in Romans 14, Paul would, as he's trying to, to help a church gain unity because they have disagreements on something, he would, he would say, but the kingdom of God's not in eating or drinking, but it is in love and joy. And, and he's gonna go and he's gonna list these things off. And so, so the kingdom of God is demonstrated in power. So when the gospel of the kingdom of God is proclaimed, Jesus is in demonstrating that power. So the gospel of the kingdom of God is accompanied by the power of God. Now, I know we got a lower attendance this morning. I know that. 
But I know in this room we've got people that are dealing with sicknesses of different kind, different levels. You might be the sick. You might be the diseased. We've got physical pains. We've got all those kinds of things. Don't miss the demonized part. Demonization can be a root cause of sickness. When we went through the the, um, Battleground series back a couple years ago now, we covered this kind of thing. None of that, none of what you are experiencing is more powerful than God. Nothing. Seizures, not more powerful than God. Lame people, people unable to walk because you've got some kind of physical, not more powerful than God. When the kingdom of God comes in power, there can be a demonstration, oftentimes is a demonstration of the power of God. What I want to say to you this morning before we dismiss is if you've got some kind of sickness, disease, or physical pain that you've been dealing with, don't don't leave here without being prayed this for this morning. Let's ask the Lord to, to come in power and bring healing to that sickness, disease, that physical pain this morning. Let's, let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. So, Father, would you let your spirit come now and, and give us understanding, just a few verses, but take us where you want us to go. We know, everyone in this room knows that you are capable. And we can say that. But sometimes it's harder for us to live that. So will you help us to live that in faith. Stir up our faith this morning as we see you and as we, as we hear about the kingdom of God coming in power and the things that Jesus was, was, was dealing with and overcoming, these kinds of things, none of them stand before you. Nothing in this room stands before you. So we want to see it bow before you this morning, all sickness, disease, all demonization that might be taking place. We want to see it bow before you this morning. We want to see it flee in your presence. So would you have your way among us? And so with that, I'm going to invite any of our prayer team members who might be here this morning. So go ahead and grab your uh, lanyards and go ahead and make your way up front. So these will have people available up front after the service. Just come let them know if you want prayer, what we're praying for. And we'd be glad to pray for that. All right. Now may Yehovah, the Lord, bless you and keep you. May Yehovah the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yehovah the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace.